0: Hi, I'm Leslie Chapman Henderson, president and CEO of FLASH, the nonprofit Federal Alliance for Safe Homes. I'll be your host today for our podcast, Strong Homes, Safe Families, where we help you prepare for disasters of all kinds. During our show, we're gonna share tips and information on how you can protect your family and your home before disaster strikes. Today, we're talking about the great ShakeOut and International ShakeOut Day. So I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Mark Benthian, who's the Director of Communication, Education, and Outreach with the Southern California Earthquake Center. Welcome, Mark.
1: Hi, Leslie. It's great to be with you.
0: Thanks for joining us. So before we get started to talk about the job and SCEC and and this major, wonderful initiative that you lead, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background?
1: I'm one of those rare people these days, I think, that are still in their first job out of college, though the job has changed quite a bit. The first employer, at, I've been with the Southern California Earthquake Center now for 24 years. And it's been a real fortunate and really a fantastic opportunity with an organization that really has always been quite visionary and what it is looking to accomplish in terms of reducing earthquake loss and and really understanding earthquakes and helping the public understand those and make good decisions. And it's really, I'm also fortunate to be doing what I wanted to do when I grew up. And from when I was about 13, I decided I wanted to help people be prepared for earthquakes in California because it was such a socially relevant thing. At the time, there had been a big earthquake. In the LA area. I grew up in San Diego. I was always interested in science and really looked and said, Oh, I want to help people with earthquakes. At one point I thought that would mean working as a scientist with all the scientists I, I work with now on, you know, helping to understand earthquakes and even predict earthquakes. Along the way, I, I found that I really enjoyed some of the work I was doing while at UCLA. In reaching out to the public to see if we could put seismometers in their backyard after the Northridge earthquake, for example, which happened while I was a student at UCLA. So, a lot of work like that I was doing as an undergraduate really exposed me to the need for that type of education and outreach. And so, that's where I went into that working now at the Southern California Earthquake Center, which is. Based at the University of Southern California, but has seventy plus institutions around the country and around the world that, with scientists that work together on understanding our earthquake threat in California.
0: So, what did you study? You said you came to your role straight from school. What What are your? Uh, yes, um, yeah,
1: so my bachelor's at UCLA. My, my bachelor's of science was applied geophysics, and. While at USC, I also pursued a master's in public policy, which I received in 2003. So that just kind of to complement the science side to have that education, that would be relevant to a lot of the people that we work with.
0: It does. It sounds like a perfect compliment. Yeah. So what is your role in your role at Southern California Earthquake Center? And I'll go ahead and just start calling it SCEC so our listeners know that's what we're talking about what is your role and how did it lead to the creation of what we know is called the shakeout
1: yeah so as the national science foundation and us geological survey uh, funded center there's a requirement that of course we have a education and outreach program to reach to kind of develop broader impacts of the science and to communicate those and so that has always spanned programs for public information as well as programs like internship programs and other ways to develop the next generation of scientists and so that is what i came into it back in 1996 as an assistant in those programs and as of 2001, the director of what we now call communication, education, and outreach, or CEO, but not the CEO, but the CEO program. And really, by 2003, I was seeing that a lot of the groups that we were often working with, we would do kind of one, one event at a time. And I said, what if we all came together to coordinate our activities, especially As in 2003, we were coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the Northridge earthquake. So what if we came together? So we created what we call the Earthquake Country Alliance, a Southern California public-private partnership group that really just to help us all work together in a more integrative way. And one of the things that we did that was interesting was we really created that group as— the entity and, and did not call it Skeks Earthquake Country Alliance. And that really was effective in having everybody come to the table in a uniform way. You know, and I think probably, Leslie, this is something that is similar to what was done when Flash was created, bringing people together under a common umbrella. Exactly. Uh, and for earthquakes in our case and hurricanes in your case. And, and by doing that, we organized a really great anniversary event, but we also updated a booklet that we had had for a number of years. We created in that new booklet, The Seven Steps to Earthquake Safety. Uh, That booklet was called Putting Down Roots in Earthquake Country, created by Dr. Lucy Jones. Just after the Northridge earthquake, we updated it for the first time and kept doing that. We kept kind of doing these collaborative activities and were inspired by the 1906 centennial anniversary in 2006 of the San Francisco earthquake from 1906. And we're inspired by a lot of the activities that happened there. We looked forward to what can we be doing in Southern California to... Similarly, and there was another, oh, there was the 1857 earthquake, an even bigger earthquake that happened in Southern California. And so we were coming up on the 150th anniversary of that. So you can see anniversaries are always very important in, in this type of work. And we were really leveraging that. And one activity that was getting underway, too, again, led by Dr. Lucy Jones at the U.S. Geological Survey at the time, was a study for what a big earthquake on the San Andreas, the southernmost San Andreas earth uh, fault that hadn't moved, not in 1906, nineteen oh six, not in eight not in eighteen fifty-seven, but really since about seventeen hundred, what would happen when that part of the fault ruptured in the modern world and how it would affect all of the region. And that became in the conversations for that scenario that was being developed, that was going to go on to involve hundreds of scientists and engineers and policy makers and others, we decided that was going to have an exercise component to it where the state was organizing a big public sector exercise, but what if we we say? What if we involved everyone else in that exercise, like literally everyone else in Southern California, or at least a large percentage? And we said that we would call the Great Southern California Shakeout. The scenario became known as the Shakeout Scenario. You know, and it talked about. Two hundred plus billion dollars in losses, and the fifty thousand plus injuries requiring hospitalization, and many other factors, and the, and the importance of how fires following that earthquake might double the losses. So the importance of fire following earthquake is always a big issue with earthquakes, but really for for that scenario was quite significant. so, and so we started we- planning for that, and so that's where we really built up having so many people. Plan to participate, to hold an earthquake drill in that first time in 2008. And it was meant as a one-time event.
0: Okay. So let me just recap, make sure, because that's a great amount of history. So essentially what happened is you guys merged a very typical kind of research effort to create a scenario saying, what if X level earthquake occurred what would be the outcomes on this y location in that case being southern california right and what you did is you pivoted to the public to find a way to get them engaged so they would hear and listen and benefit from those learnings and is this the first time that i mean we drills and exercises especially scenario-based exercises are a not uncommon method to help the emergency management community prepare. But is this the first time that the public-facing aspect was as broad-based as the first shakeout was?
1: I think that's fair to say, just as broad as it was. I mean, so we involving nearly every school district in Southern California? So, Southern California population at the time was around 22 million, depending on which counties you count. <laughs> and <laughs> and we basically had a quarter of that participate, which was our goal. We'd say, wow, if we had a quarter of those people participate, that would be significant because it would be over 5 million. And so we had a process of, we kind of invented that, you know, to do an earthquake drill, of course, which is primarily what people are practicing is how to protect themselves Some organizations extend that to a broader test of their overall emergency plan. But minimally, you're dropping to the ground where you are. You're covering your head and neck with an arm, and you're looking to see if you can crawl under something for additional shelter nearby and holding on to that for the duration of the shaking. And we created that. Before you can get down under your own desk, you need to go to a website and register. (laughs) Uh, You know, it was completely made up. That registering is what you do for, for a drill like this. And, but what we were basing all that on was social science research, too, that said how you get people motivated to take action. This is the actionable risk theory by Maletti and Bork and Wood and others who really had looked at it across multiple hazards, including terrorism. But how you get people to take action is that you have them see other people taking action, similar action like you want them to do. You get people talking with each other. And then you also, it's really key that you, when you are talking about the danger that you're talking about the solution, so right. that it's actionable. So they're, they're seeing the social cues, they're talking with each other as a social milling factor, and they're getting that actionable information. So we actually applied that, all those principles to ShakeOut with the goal not to get people under desks, but the goal to get people talking in the way that actual earthquakes do. Because what we see time and time again with earthquakes and probably other disasters is that people get prepared after the disaster. They say, oh, now we're motivated. Now we see what can happen. Maybe they're seeing it from another country. Maybe they're seeing it from another part of their state. And now they're taking action. That happened in the 2019 Ridgecrest earthquakes in California last year, where, where there's a lot of merchandise of the items that you use to secure furniture and TVs and things. So they don't fall, you know, we're really sold out from the suppliers after the earthquake happened. Right. right so what, right. what can we do to create that <laughs> effect without having to have the earthquake? And so that's what The real initial purpose of ShakeOut was to create something that would be big, that would enough that you would have a lot of that dialogue happening without having to have the earthquake itself.
0: So this to me, you know, this is the, by another name, socially normal activity. When people think it's something everybody does and that it's a normal thing to do and there's a solution component and they feel like they can be make a difference is when you can affect that behavior change. But going back for a second, I want to make sure before we move through the actual drill itself, I think it's really important to just explain to people what that entails and when it occurs and how long it takes, because it sounds like more of an undertaking perhaps than it, it really is, which is part of the beauty of the shakeout is how easy it is to be a part of it.
1: The minimal activity is practicing how to protect yourself during an earthquake shaking and that can be as little as a one minute stopping what you're doing getting down getting under something because the number one sources of injuries is time and time again has been shown to be in falling objects where you are or even flying objects things that are being thrown by the shaking and less so any type of building collapse that can happen but while you might have a few building collapses in a region the stuff is going to be flying in every room in that region. Every building, every room, uh, there's going to be there's going to be broken glass. So there's all those hazards far more likely than more serious collapse type hazards. And so okay. practicing that is really key. Now some people do more than that, and we really encourage that. But there's there's no real strong requirement besides doing something to practice what you do during an earthquake.
0: And so let's go ahead and take a moment so you can dispel some myths. There's one thing that people may think they should do as opposed to, you know, dropping and taking cover. What is the number one prevention activity myth? I'm not going to say what it is. I think I know what it is because it's what everyone used to think you were supposed to
1: do, right? So, yeah, there's two. There's, there's, there's two, either okay. running outside and there's getting in a doorway.
0: And standing in the doorway, right? That was the other. And That's so, right. let me ask you this: because in other situations, like with hurricanes, sometimes today's myth was yesterday's advice. Yeah. Was it ever part of the earthquake safety council or recommendation that you stand in a doorway?
1: Years ago, there, and it should not have been. There were. It was more of, a, I think, in the terms of a urban legend or mode where it came from some say there were it started because there were pictures of collapsed adobe buildings in the 1800s from some earthquakes in california where the only part left standing was the wood frame of the door that was the only wood part of the building some say it was early construction the door frame was stronger of sorts around it and so therefore that's a safe place to be and set went forward I haven't seen any official recommendation except in passing since the 80s. Well, since the 80s, the drop cover hold on or earlier called duck cover hold on has been the primary message. Sometimes you'll see in earlier documents that if you can't get under something, get in a doorway. The problem with doorways is it really doesn't protect you from things that are falling or flying. You imagine it's six inches or so. The idea that it's going to hold up while the building falls around you and that you within that doorway space are going to be safe when the building collapses around you, like there's some sort of force field there in the doorframe that nothing's going to come into the doorframe. It's just when you start to think through it, that sense of safety that oh this is somehow a strong place it just doesn't really pan out and unfortunately okay. we have a lot of media depictions and movies and tv shows and maybe at times over the years often you know good sounding advice from officials and others
0: versus fiction
1: right saying that so and then running outside is not a good idea because things often fall off of buildings uh, long before the building is collapsing. And, you know, you see it time and time again with especially brick buildings where there's a pile of brick on the sidewalk, but the building itself is still standing there. It's just the facade that has fallen. And if you had stayed inside, you would have not been, have been hit okay. yeah. by the, the falling brick bricks. So those are two okay. of the types of things. So we try and, to deal with with a shakeout.
0: And those are really important things to talk about for those that are unfamiliar with the council. So thank you for this. All right. So let's go back to the shakeout. You guys started with the goal of getting a quarter of the 22 million population. You got 5 million. How many did you get last year in 2019 to participate?
1: Yeah. And again, you know, that was a one time event we were planning. And it was really by popular demand that it then grew to be statewide in 2009. And then other uh, states, actually, Nevada and Guam joined in 2010, and then it kept uh, expanding. So in 2019, we had 10.8 million Californians. We had 21.7 million participants across the entire U.S. So we had participation in every state and territory. Now, certainly the states with higher earthquake hazards had more people than those with lower. But it's interesting to see people practicing everywhere because not only... Maybe it's not because the earthquake is going to happen where you are, but it, you may travel, maybe not right now, but you, you may travel to uh, in the future to a place that can have an earthquake or you or your your children may go to school somewhere else. All of these factors, you may be on a work trip that, or you may move somewhere. And, and knowing how to protect yourself when you're in that situation, even if it's not a common thing where you are, is really key too. And then That's globally, we've had other countries come in And also like Japan and New Zealand having national drills called ShakeOut now and other individual participation of schools and colleges and businesses and individuals around the world and nearly 68 million people in total last year holding earthquake drills that are associated with ShakeOut.
0: That's fantastic. Congratulations. I mean, the lives that have likely already been saved and will be saved in the future just based on a simple idea that you guys have grown. is just incredible. It's really exciting to be able to share kind of some of the lessons learned taking out of this to help others learn how to apply the social science. And that's one of the keys too, is you always really have to start with understanding where people are are today and what they're thinking today. And I know we've often talked about our work with Disney and understanding that Any kind of behavior change has to lead people to a viable solution. And I think that's what's so exciting about this. But the discussion around what they should not do as well, because, you know, when we talk about hurricanes, we talk about masking tape and don't use masking tape, even though in the 70s there were brochures given out by the authorities saying this is because it's the best that we had, but things change and they get better. So right. speaking of that, so you've got a highly successful global initiative and I know the shakeout in some cases is on different days based on the the local needs, yeah. but what is the day for 2020 and do you have anything is there any change to oh, it yeah. because of COVID? Do you have you adapted to the oddness and the challenges of this year? Yes,
1: yeah, so the International Shakeout Day each year is the third Thursday of October. In 2020 that's October 15th. One thing we're we always emphasize, but really more so this year, is that that's not some you know, rigid requirement by any means. And we even allow people to tell us what day they're having their drill on in any year. But this year, particularly, the flexibility that ShakeOut always has of when you hold your drill. Again, we created that you register your drill. We're not coming out with a clipboard and, and making sure that you're doing it <laughs> on the day you said you were and and, and some sort of ShakeOut enforcement authority (laughs) Uh, and and so we really want you to, to you know have your drill when it works for you the benefit of having it on this kind of the same day with everyone else is that added discussion that happens in the news media it trends on twitter each year and other social media with people sharing pictures it's really incredible actually to the national and international participation and seeing that show up and people having fun with it or, or learning things with it and sharing pictures. So that's one of the flexibility aspects of it. Some people, we've suggested this too, take take that to the next level to what we jokingly call the international shakeout minute, uh, which is... 10.15 a.m. on 10.15 or whatever the year, because it, it's always a Thursday. I think last year it was maybe the 17th. This year's the 15th. It, it changes each year, the actual date and time. But so there is that moment, and it is kind of like what I call a reverse wave, where you know, wave at the stadium, people stand up and cheer. And this around the world, people are dropping down to the ground at 10.15 local time kind of riding a wave around the world, uh, which is really fun to watch, kind of the, the participation and uh, the tweeting happening in that sense too. So that that happened. But the flexibility because of COVID, of course, not being able to choose your date and time. And for many organizations, even doing multiple drills where they're having smaller cohorts of participants so they can have more social distancing. For example, schools or large organizations, where they're not having everyone at the same time do the drill and then evacuate to their common meeting location, which is not a requirement, but many do that as part of their overall emergency plan. And so they're breaking it into smaller groups over multiple times. And many people, of course, not all being together, are planning to do their drills virtually. And so that from schools which are always the number one participation category of shakeout. So of that sixty-seven million, more than half are going to be children or you know, through school. That's a factor that's important too. So we're really educating and, and training the young people to who won't hopefully grow up with the same myths that the adults did to know what to do and to hopefully take right. that information and share that with their families. And so that's a challenge of kind of evaluating because normally when you survey people, it's the older people you <laughs> take the surveys and not the kids. So uh, we're, we're trying to work on that too. So that's one aspect is that with distance learning, we're working with educators to develop some resources that teachers can use or even parents can use to have drills through Zoom or through a PowerPoint presentation they, they kind of go through at home that kind of give it a a very simple way of doing their drill over video conferencing. So there's a lot of flexibility as there always is. And it's important also that while this is an unusual year and it's different, it's always good to do something different with your drill. So that's another point that we're making that, yeah, you're adapting, you're doing something different, but it's a good thing to always be doing something a bit different if you do the same drill every year, you're only practicing for that one situation. You should practice for all the types of situations that might happen, so that you have that flexibility for when the earthquake happens. That probably won't fit any of those particular ones, but right you have practiced.
0: And here's a thought by people. So I have a granddaughter who's in PK four who's doing Zoom school for at least the first two months. Yeah, and her participation in the shakeout is going to expose the rest of her family. That's right. So you're probably, there's a little silver lining there from what I hear you saying that you're going to be able, mom and dad are going to see the drill firsthand instead of it just happening at school. So there's your plus side is you're going to be able to expose it. I was just sitting here thinking and wondering how big of a zoom call if you could you probably set a record it'd be kind of a fun thing to see how many people can fit on one zoom. I mean and how tiny could all of those little (laughs) headshots be on the screen. So this is fantastic. So I have one last question for you before we wrap up because this is um this is very timely. So we'll have this out for our listeners. We will too. I want to mention that we will link to all of your resources and your website. Totally shakeout.org
1: where you can go to register and get all the information. We'll have all that on
0: on the um, post with the podcast. And then we'll also have some show notes with, you know, with some of the high points of all this wonderful information. But before we wrap up, I think my last question is, if you think past this year and maybe even past the next 10 years, what's your reach goal or vision? I mean, you've already accomplished so much with this, but what is your vision for where this can go? And when it happens, you will know that you've done all you can do here. Is there any kind of really super stretch goal? I mean, you're really good at those, obviously, because you've already reached so many, but is there anything for the future, the shakeout that you want to see happen?
1: definitely so while we expect to continue maybe this year we're not going to beat the records that we had last year so those record-breaking participation we, we because of COVID, we understand that and we're we're seeing registrations at a, at a lower level because of it and that's understandable we hope to be able to bounce back and to keep expanding you know, to new countries and to really create a global conversation for earthquake safety and people working together and continue to do that. But that's kind of more of what we've been doing and there's a certain trend for that. We also want to really be further encouraging other actions. We have the seven steps to earthquake safety, what to do before, during, and after. ShakeOut focuses largely on the during, how to protect yourself. We always provide all the other messaging too. But one of the things through our support from FEMA's building science branch this year is to which provides support to us to coordinate with all the different shakeout states and territories and multi-state regions we're going to be building in the ability not just to track how many people are participating but also how many items have been secured uh such as tvs and bookshelves and and kitchen cabinets and all those types of things in homes and businesses and schools and portray that in in a similar way with the social science, having people be able to show what they've done so that more people will take those actions. Because if you have secured everything, then there's a lot less worry about things falling or flying in the space you're in. So it's kind of a one, two connection, really reducing the injuries. So that's one aspect. And of course, continuing to message about people Having their drills together because that's a real world situation that people are going to be experiencing—not just an earthquake within their own organization, but with those that are maybe in the same building or the same block. So that's where we're really going. And I think as we have actual earthquakes in areas that have had had shakeout drills, really learning the lessons there about you know how people are really acting during actual shaking, who's still running outside, and and why and those factors I think are just going to help us continue to improve how we message and and encourage participation in ShakeOut.
0: That's fantastic. So thank you very, very much, Mark, for all of this great information. As I mentioned, we will have it all posted there. And I personally am going to talk within our partnership to see if we can try to set a Zoom record for this year since we won't have different kinds of records. Maybe we can do something with a virtual ShakeOut um, creatively. But I wanna thank everyone for listening to this week's episode of Strong Homes and Safe Families. And remind you, please visit us at flash.org because we do have the information, as Mark was talking about, to go along with the safety mitigation. We do have animations and tips um, that we've worked with. And Mark is very kind to serve as one of our advisors as we create content and information to help people protect themselves and their homes from earthquakes. We'd like you to also know that you can always call us at our toll-free number, 877-221-SAFE, or email us at info at flash.org with any questions you have. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, share, and provide a review for us on iTunes. Until next time, thank you.